Welcome to Conversations on Cub Creek, a podcast situated in the hollows along Cub Creek, west of Nashville, Tennessee. Good conversation with smart, passionate, interesting people, and great music, some good beer, and some good food. Thanks for spending your time with us here on the creek. Enjoy. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Conversations on Cub Creek. I can think of no other conversation to start with than the one all of America is having right now. The racial divide, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, individual accountability, and civic duty. On a producer's note, I went back and forth on whether to invite all black guests or to mix it up. There were definite pros and cons to that decision. In the end, I decided to ask four black friends to join me. This is a conversation, a listening session, and a beer summit with some hard questions thrown in. Thank you to those who submitted questions online this past week. I will ask many of them over the next hour. My guests tonight include a father-son combo, Philip Woods Sr. and Philip Woods Jr. Phil Sr. is from Hayti, a small town along the Mississippi River in the boot heel of Missouri. He graduated with a Bachelor's in Science from the University of Missouri in 1995 and later a Bachelor of Nursing. He has been a psychiatric nurse and now a supervisor at Vanderbilt Behavioral Health for the last 16 years. He volunteers with the Big Brothers Big Sisters program and is a youth football and basketball coach. Phil Jr. was also born in Hayti. He received his Bachelor of Science in Exercise Science from Middle Tennessee State University and his Master of Science in Exercise Science from the University of Alabama. He's worked as a strength and fitness coach for gyms, big corporations, and hospitals. I'm joined on the phone by my friend Vanessa Hill. She was born in northern Michigan, but raised in southern Alabama. She is first and foremost an accomplished singer-songwriter and recording artist for Sony Tree, CBS Records, and New Freedom Records, a sister label of Warner Brothers. She's had a ton of songs recorded by other artists, including the Bellamy Brothers. She's been a professional chauffeur to the stars, including Danny Glover, C.C. Winans, and Jeff Foxworthy. She's also been the mayor of Greensboro, Alabama, just 39 miles from Selma, Alabama. She is currently the founder and CEO of The Color of Music, a 501c3 organization teaching youth the value of life through the arts. Last, but certainly not least, Welcome my pal Tracy Davis, originally from Lexington, Kentucky, and not just from Kentucky, but she played for the University of Kentucky women's basketball team. She's been a federal corrections officer, a juvenile justice parole officer, and a mental health specialist for Vanderbilt Psychiatric Hospital. This podcast is split up into two one-hour parts. Sit back and feel free to crack open a beer. We've got a bucket full in the middle of the table. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for being willing to listen. Let's get the conversation started. Well, hey guys, welcome to Cub Creek. Good to have you here. Been looking forward to having uh, people sit around my kitchen table for a bit. And we have uh, Vanessa Hill on the phone still, don't we? Yeah. Awesome, good to hear you. Uh, I wanted to start by asking you guys for your personal experiences with racism uh, and prejudice, whether it was when you were younger or maybe even recently. 
Well, I'll go. Um, um, I can't remember or recall anything that happened like when, in my younger years, but I think I was a sophomore at Kentucky, and um, I had most of my friends that um, uh, I was an athlete, so a lot of my friends liked for me to be on their team. And well, you of, you played <laughs> for the women's team at University right. of Kentucky basketball. So, so, yeah, you were an athlete. Like like so, growing up, I had a lot of white friends that um, that wanted me to play on their team. So they they always came and picked me up. You know, right. it was like my mom and dad didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to pay any money. It was like, hey, let's mm-hmm. go get Tracy. And I lived in in the hood, so um, I had a white friend that lived in a gated community, and um, I went out. They always told me, like, you can come out whenever you want to. They had a man-made lake out there, had a big pontoon. And I forgot how big the lake was or, or that area. But I always went out there for just some relaxation or whatever. You know, I like the scenery and all that. So I go out there one day, and this was before we had, like, call waiting and cell phones. Right. So I go out there, and um, very nice neighborhood, $500,000 homes or whatever, and I ring the the gate, and they had they were on the phone. It was busy, so uh, about that time, I think I was there for about ten fifteen minutes. And a lady, a white lady, comes up behind me, and I said, "Excuse me, ma'am, I'm trying to get into my friend's uh, home." And I gave her the address. I told her who they was, and I said, "They're expecting me. They're just on the phone." And so she says. Well, it's people that's been in this neighborhood ain't have no business in this neighborhood, and <laughs> you need to move. And I was like, just let me in. I'll tell you. I told you where I was going. You can follow me if you want to or whatever. She says, no, uh, I cannot do that. You need to uh, back up and let me in. So now I'm, I think I'm 18, maybe 19. I might have been a freshman. So I back up my car, and she goes through the gate, and she don't move far. You know, she she moves up just. Enough for the gate to come down, and uh, so I couldn't get in, and um, and she drove off, and I was like, wow. So I finally got through, and I, I told my friend's family what happened, and uh, they said, no, you're always welcome here. I said, well, you need to tell whoever it was <laughs> exactly. that wouldn't yeah. let me in the gate, yeah. you know. <laughs> so they asked me who, what kind of car she was, uh, she had, or whatever. So I told them, and so I. Um, I get there. Uh, I was kind of feeling bad about that too, because I'm like, I ain't never caused any problems or whatever, you know. And mm. I just felt really bad. Like she told me, it's like people, you did something wrong. Yeah, or, yeah. she told me people don't belong in this neighborhood, and I was like, wow. And so uh, next thing you know, uh, the family asked me what she looked like and what kind of car. I told them. A few weeks later, I got a call from my my friend's family, and they said, "You're always welcome down here." We found out who it was. And it won't be a problem again. So a few weeks go past. I go down there and I get through the gate. Come to find out she lives right on the end home to, you know, where all the homes are. So I had to go past her house in order to get my friend's house. So um, I come through there one day and she's like this waving. Hey, how you doing? Same one that had. Uh Yeah. uh And so I was like. Wow, that's that lady wouldn't let me in. And so I get down to my friend's home and I tell them, I said, Hey, it was a lady waving at me. They was like, Oh, that's her. And I'll say her name on here. Her name is Miss Crookenberry. And uh, <laughs> they said, We had a talk with her and told her that, you know, you're part of our family. You're our friend. You're always welcome here. And apparently they kind of mentioned to her, she plays for Kentucky. 
And so after that, I had no problems. Well, I was going to ask you if being a uh, an athlete on a on such she, a storied team kind of gave you a little cover that maybe she, others didn't after get. After she found out I played for Kentucky, she was so nice to me. <laughs> she was calling them like, when's the next time Tracy come down? I'm grilling and all this stuff. And just she was my best friend after that. That's right. I never went over her house. Right. But, you know, I was like, because I was like, nah, man, you treated me bad the first time I came down here. Now you found out I played for Kentucky. So now, you know, you're all friendly with me. But that was my first as, you know, I guess coming out of, you know, of being an adult. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I'm pretty sure stuff happened when I was younger and I didn't pay attention to it. But mm-hmm. uh, that was probably one of my first and... um Experiences dealing with you know some form of prejudice, and right? Just you know, made me feel bad because I knew I wasn't a criminal. <laughs> I knew right. I was a good person. And so your just, point is that whole that whole thing about feeling like you did something wrong, feeling yeah. feeling bad. Yeah, Vanessa, you want to take it? Uh, how much time do you guys have? Well, we- <laughs> <laughs> well I'll tell you this one incident. Uh, I was with a band. It was called. Um, Katie's Mill and Vanessa Hill in Decatur, Alabama. And, um, and what year that was this been? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably in the late 80s. Okay. Or mid-80s. And um, I, was, I was the only black woman, black and woman in the band. And uh, every day, every weekend, rather, we would go into the basement of one of the uh, guys' house. And I mean, it was the weirdest thing because uh, it was down this little narrow steps, like a dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was the only black and the woman in the room with these big guys, <laughs> you know. Uh, didn't have sense enough to be scared because I just love music. I've, I've gone a lot of places. I've pretty much given my mom a heart attack. So we got this gig together to, to go to Coleman, Alabama and perform at the Coleman Country Club. And uh, there were a lot of places they would perform that they wouldn't take because they didn't see how to be welcome. But they oh, did really? take me there. In the, even yeah. in the 80s? Uh, yeah. So they, they did take me there. And um, I walked through the door and people would look at me like, uh, what are you doing walking through the front door? <laughs> you know? Wow. So uh, once we got in and the band set up and everything, um, I got up to sing. And like um, Tracy was just saying, the... Uh, Attitudes just totally changed. Once you sang, once like, they heard you sing, uh, once they heard me sing, I knew that I was uh, I was with the band and that I was a singer. And their their attitudes totally changed, wow. and that's just the light of it of my stories. Right. Yeah. Well, gotcha. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I'm gonna speak to uh, you know I had several instances, but I think the one that stick out stick out the most is the one I experienced with my family and. Uh, my oldest son, my youngest son, my wife, we was walking on this greenway uh, in Murfreesboro that people love to walk. It goes along the lake. Recently? Uh, no, they was younger. We okay. was younger. Maybe about 10 years ago. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so we all just having a good day out there like everyone else. And this overpass, this truck rides by, and I don't think my kids noticed it, but me and my wife did. And uh, these guys yell out, niggers, and just ride yeah. by. So for me... Uh, you know, again, me as a man, I'm, I'm good. But at me as a man, walking with my family and hearing that word, 
you know, it, it, it leaves you a little torn a little bit. So, uh, like, the feeling of needing to fire yeah, back. Yeah, fire back. Fire back without a doubt. Uh, and the need to protect them, like, wow. Like, so, had you been walking on your own, you were just kind of... Oh, yeah, if I walk on, no big deal at all. You know, it's, I'm not, you know, it, it would not penetrate my soul. But the fact that I was with my kids and wife... And for my wife to have to hear that, and my kids, right. you know, and as they pass by, just why, you know, my my mm-hmm. why, you know, and so you you had that anger, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? You had that anger, uh, but that that's what stuck out again, the most recent, and also again because I'm just like anybody else out enjoying the weather, walking along a nice greenway, yep. and this truck rides past and. You know, and just in one single word, kind one of single word. I'm gonna keep yeah. it moving, but nigger, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, so we have your 21 year old son with us, Phil. 27. 27. Did I say 21? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 27, 27. That's the youngest, 21. <laughs> That's right. How old were you when we uh, went kayaking years ago? Oh, man. High school. Definitely. 18, 17. Good grief. All right. Well, yeah. that's probably sure. why I said 21. <laughs> so, wow. What's been your experience yeah. with it? My, I would say it's been more so like a prejudice with it uh, going to a, a PWI at MTSU for the most part, joining a predominantly white fraternity as well. It would be just being approached or carrying yourself as you act white. And that's just discrediting to, to it dishonors the effort I put in or the effort my parents have put in to upbring me and to discredit my color due to how I carry myself. You know, what, what is carrying yourself white? What does that mean? So you got a little bit of that. Oh no, he's a good guy. Yeah, which he's a meant good guy. He's yeah. like us. You he's joined like, a white fraternity? Yeah. Okay. I didn't I did, know that. I did. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. And, and it had several, it had minorities in it as well. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. did. And it wouldn't even been the, it wasn't most of the brothers that would do that. It would be outside people as well. That wow. Would do that. And okay. That would just come to you, approach you with, you you act white or you talk white type deal. Yeah. And just to like I said again, just to discredit to how you carry yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, out in the world, I would still be perceived as a black male. Um, they don't care about your degrees. Now, did you catch you, any hell from black friends for joining a white fraternity? Honestly, I did not. I did wow. not. Yeah, I did not. Which was which was enlightening to me mm-hmm. because it just showed that or we taking steps forward to an extent. We right. we yeah to an extent. And I think that's my generation is being, we're more open to certain things when it goes to that. We don't really hold that over your head like, oh, you're a sellout, Uncle Tom's, or et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? That's the most concerning. Is it a good thing or is it a bad to not, you know, join a NPAC? So or, not to put you too much yeah. on the spot, but what kinds of things did you do, uh, even if it was subconsciously, to kind of be more white? When you knew you needed to be, and that's the thing. I, or was it was it yeah, conscious or no? it wasn't even conscious? I would honestly, Mark. I would say I was just carrying myself the way I was brought up. I don't really know. It's because I enunciate may enunciate things. Oh, so or, it, so it was basically them going, "Hey, uh, because you like you said, yeah. speak well, carry yourself a certain way, it's automatically white." Yeah, that was your point. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's you get associated with that if you are a I wouldn't outstanding black male but if you're just a black male that carry yourself well you get categorized as being white or so do you date white women or i do i have okay. i have i've dated two black women and two white women okay. as well and have you run into any uh any predicaments being out and about with a, a white woman i would say with my ex so i went to grad school in florence alabama 
Um, and it was maybe one time there we had caught an eye. Yeah, just uh, you you can tell when someone's staring at you just because yeah. you're white and black. You you can honestly you can feel it. And I would say it only one time maybe I felt that. Yeah. Well, it's funny that he he chose that to go that route. But as 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 a dad, uh, I'll never forget when he went down to Panama City and uh, he said he was with his right fraternity. And it was late. They all came to the hotel together. But the security guard stopped him and said, hey, I need to see some ID. Like, why are you here? Oh, yeah. So, again, yeah. as a father, I'm like, what the, yeah. you know, what the yeah, hell? Right. Like, right. again, yeah. why, why are you messing with my son? He, right. He's yeah. with the, he's with his friends. They, and he, even he said his friends got upset and came to the defense. But, again, yeah. as a father, you know, that just kind of enrages you. Sure. Because you know your son is good. Like, you know. That does kind of show some progress, though. You're right, though, because, I mean, in our era of uh, teenage years or early 20s, um, it, you you would have seen a look or two. Yeah. Now, I grew up yeah. in D.C., um, and there were a lot of interracial couples for the time. Uh, and then, of course, Nashville being a little bit more of a liberal city, I remember having more, but it was still mm-hmm. the exception and not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that kind of, the fact that you have had a fairly unscathed experience with with interracial yeah. dating is probably says yeah. some significance. Yeah, agreed. You had mentioned something to me we were talking a few weeks ago about talking to your boys about driving at night alone. Yeah. And it really struck me that that mm. conversation was a conversation that probably a lot of white fathers did, do not have with their white sons or daughters. Yeah. And we still had a conversation. Look, I mean, Phil tell you today, like when they leave my house and my presence, hey, be safe, blah blah. They like, Dad, we got you. Like, but but I gotta, as a dad, <laughs> I gotta remind you that it's out there. So, so uh, what kinds of things did you say, or what do you remember hear, hearing him tell it you was, about it, most? It was the biggest things of uh, you know not blasting your music loud. You get pulled over, putting your hands on the steering wheel, not moving, asking them, can you reach for something, having your. Um, what is it? Identification, uh, insurance above you, not mm. in the glove box. Um, what trying not to s- have tinted windows too dark. Oh, yeah. Uh, what would you say to somebody who said, well, that just sounds like good common sense for anybody to do if they get pulled over by the cops? Yeah, and and it's, and it's I, could, I can understand that. I can understand it to an extent, but you're not knowing the individual that's pulling you over and what's their experiences with an individual my skin color. Because mm-hmm. my complexion is perceived so the wild as card is different. Is exactly. It is definitely different. And when you get anxious, I mean, you don't just, everyone I think gets nervous, you know, with the mm-hmm. police behind you, of course. But when they come to your door or to see, you know, what's been going on, hey, why are you speeding, et cetera, you, I mean, your heart's beating a little bit more, a little different. Yeah. And this was back in high school. So, of yeah, course, don't blame it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm it, sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, people People say, oh, it's just social media. is what you see. and et cetera. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's what I experience as well. It's what I feel. Oh, so you, real. you can't sit here and say, well, that's not everybody. Or I don't experience that. Well, of course you may not because you don't have melanin. You don't have that complexion. Mm-hmm. And I guess, again, it's just that complexion is threatening. Some people are nervous. I used to not feel threatened at all, or I had no kind of feeling towards the police, um, especially if they pulled behind me, because I'm like, I'm going speed limit and all this good stuff. And of course, I, you, right. you have a history of being a federal corrections officer, right. juvenile right. justice. Uh-huh. And so I, I've never been like nervous that the police pulling me over or anything like that, because I'm like, I know I ain't done anything, so I'm good. But a few <laughs> years ago, I had my bicycle on the back of my car, and I was leaving... Uh, uh, 12 South Avenue uh, over in that area and I was coming down um, 
Wedgewood, Thompson Lane. And I stopped at the liquor store, got me a Woodford Reserve, <laughs> and headed in the seat. So I'm headed home. I live out there by Percy Priest. And police jumps behind me, pulls me over. And at that time, uh, any other time I would have been cool with, like, hey, I ain't done nothing, I'm not drinking or whatever. But Sandra Bland had just died. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. About a month before yeah. I got pulled over. So that instantly went through my head. And remind people who that was. Sandra Bland was uh, a black woman driving in Mississippi or Alabama, some one of those places, and got pulled over by police, ended up dying in custody. Uh, we're not sure the details of you know, what happened. Uh, I was told that she's committed suicide. But um, she got pulled over for, I think, making a turn or something, or not signaling signaling to change lanes. That's what it was. So uh, confrontation happened, and she got put in jail, and uh, we're not sure what, you know. We just know that she was she died, and uh, we were told that she had uh, committed suicide, hung herself. So that gave you pause. There was a yeah. bit was, of your brain that kind of said this could death. happen. Yeah, uh, she had just passed, like I said, might have been a month before. I was on the phone with a guy friend, and I said, hey, police is pulling me over. He said, hey, talk real loud. Put your phone on the dashboard. Mm. And I was like, man, I ain't never had to do that. Right. I'm yeah. getting ready to do it today. Yeah. yeah, right. And I was like, what did he pull me over for? I knew I hadn't done nothing. I had, uh, I just came off of Briley Parkway, turned on Murfreesboro Road. I used my signal. And just, you know, just, I knew I hadn't done anything. So I was scared to death. He got out the car, and... um uh, I talked real loud because I had my phone on, and uh, I said, uh, he said, uh, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, I couldn't see your license tag. And I said, it should be back there, <laughs> you know, the last I checked. <laughs> and I said, can I get out the car and make sure it's back there? And he was like, sure. He was looking at me, had his hand on his gun. I was like, wow. sir, I don't know what's going on, but my tag should be back there. And I have a bike back there, and uh, and I knew to position my bike to where it wouldn't cover my license plate. Yeah. So I've been knowing that. And uh, he asked me where was I going. I was like, well, I mean, kind of none of your business, but you know, I just did I do something wrong? Yeah, yeah. And uh, sure, I was scared to death, y'all, to get out the wow. car mm. to uh, to see where my license plate was. Wow, that says so, a lot. Yeah, I got that out the car. And he was staring at me, and I'm looking at him like, "Hey, I'm, <laughs> wow, I'm got my hands out like I have nothing in my hands. I'm looking around the corner, and I see my license plate is fully exposed. But I'm like, why do pull me over? Yeah. You know? Yeah. The wow. question, where are you going, has always been an interesting yeah. question to me. I'm like, what does it matter? Right. And I <laughs> kind of wanted to say, you know, right. none of your damn business, but mm. I'm like. She done got killed, and he probably might drag me out the cop. Yeah. Like, who you trying to be smart with, you know? But it wasn't none of his business where I was going. I asked him, I'm like, if you're going to give me a ticket, just give me a ticket. But it shouldn't be your business where I'm where I'm going. Right. Well, and what, and what yeah, I had one to ask me where was I coming from. And I had just pulled out of, away from my office at the UAH uh, college. And uh, they stopped me and asked me where was I coming from. I said, okay. <laughs> so is part of what we're wrestling with here is because I could hear somebody else saying, well, you know, anybody that gets pulled over, and, and me included, there's a little bit of nerves there, uh, and you, you should be, quote-unquote, smart about it and 
be extra respectful so you can get yourself up out of that situation. You should. Yeah. But it's part of what I'm hearing from you guys is that there is a wild card here. There's an X factor here that when uh-huh. you're African American, uh, depending on where you're driving, what time, type of night, what kind of car, um, neighborhood you're in, there's a bigger wild card. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a bigger Very wild cautious. card. Very and, and I think, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about the word big, Again, I'm I'm 6'4", 275 pounds. So, uh, you know, I know for a fact that... 275? I know for a fact if, you know, if the police come up to my door, you know, they're going to look at me like, oh, wow, okay, let me get a little backup here. And and I worry about, again, my boys because they're not small either. And uh, again, and I want to pick it back on what Tracy said. I always told them, listen, don't get into it with the officers. Mm-hmm. Let them say whatever. Your job is to get home safe. And we'll do whatever we got to do afterwards but your job is to get, get out of the situation yeah. right period period <clears throat> right i was just interested in the questions they ask uh where you're going or where you're coming mm-hmm. from i've never felt threatened mm-hmm. and i've been yeah. stopped many times but i never had any trouble but your situation or your your point is that you are you saying that that they would more likely ask you or a black driver, where have you been or where you're going more than they would a white driver, do you think? Or what's your... Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just think the question is interesting to ask anybody where you're going. I mean, how is it relevant to the moment? Why you stop me. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, uh, to divert a little bit, um, so Vanessa, you were mayor for a while of, I believe, Mm -hmm. Greensboro, Alabama, right? Hale County? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how long were you mayor down there? It was a four-year term, yeah. but due to auto fraud, I only served two. Right, that was a mm. that was a big deal. You took all that all the way to the state supreme court, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, as mayor of a little town, um, I don't know what your police force was like. Tell us a little bit about uh, as a mayor, especially an African American mayor, maybe even especially an African American uh, female mayor in the South. What kinds of interactions, instructions, policy discussions did you have with your police force? Well, uh, it, 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 I didn't really have any problems with my police department. Uh, they were pretty much on cue for what they were supposed to do, and they knew who I was, you know, that I was for what was right. And to be honest with you, most of the um, the policemen were black. Mm-hmm. Um that's a that's a long, pretty much horrible story as far as me being there because I hate to say this, but it's it's the truth. Uh, it was the whites who supported me and the blacks who were against me. Mm-hmm. Did that uh, once that played out and you were able to take the seat as mayor? Did that um, effect of having primary white support? How did that affect you as mayor? You know, when you look at the the presidency now, uh, the, he, he's, he and the mayor are really just figureheads. Uh, um, mm-hmm. the, everything is ran pretty much, should be ran by the House and the Senate. And everything, as far as being mayor, was ran by pretty much the council. So basically, those positions of the figureheads are supposed to be. Um but um, it didn't give me, it didn't put me in good favor with blacks because they felt that I was uh, in favor of whites, which is. Because you had majority white support? 
because they support me as majority white support. Gotcha. Interesting. So are there any examples of racism or discrimination that you see regularly that you think maybe whites or uh, people of non-color don't see? I mean, are there things, kind of subtle things that happen that kind of maybe don't bother you but trip your radar that I that I might not see or that somebody oh, else gosh, might yeah. see? You want to take that? I mean, answer? just look at, go, go, on, go on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I guess their response with the, uh, the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, that would be something that maybe, well, maybe, so you're saying something that you don't see maybe? Yeah, something that be, because you're African American, uh, you your radar picks up maybe subtle, I guess I'm talking about maybe subtle racism or subtle discrimination, subtle things that get said or looks that I, that I may not ever pick up on. You know what? Pretty much the term all lives matter. I'm like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that's not the point. Uh, sure. All lives matter. You but, would think it does. Uh, supposed to matter. Yeah. Right. Supposed to matter. But if black lives doesn't matter, then all lives don't matter. Right. Well, let's get into that a minute uh, as far as Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter organization movement. Of course, we know that it um, was developed after the murder of Trayvon Martin. And I Mm -hmm. believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 2008, 2010? 2012. 12. Uh, And I believe the Black Lives Matter started after George Zimmerman, who was his killer, was found uh, innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then that uh, that started Black Lives Matter. I will tell you that in I've had a lot of uh, people write in of le- last week uh, questions to throw into the mix here. And there is a category of question I got from a lot of people that are really struggling with with the term Black Lives Matter and then mm-hmm. struggling mm-hmm. with the organization. How does the fra- why do you think the phrase is so divisive? I feel like they just don't want us to have anything, you know, and that's just my personal okay. opinion. Like they just don't want us to have anything. Um, you can have Ku Klux Klan and nothing is said, and these people have been uh, basically killers since I've. Yeah. Since I, inception for me, Gover- government officials. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And when you say Black Lives Matter, it's like they don't deserve anything. That's how I kind of, you know, they feel like I'm like, what? I'm thinking you have a special thing. To yeah, do. we have something special. I'm like, this ain't nothing special. We just trying to let you know, like, hey, quit killing us. Well, and we know that, uh, you know, and I think along the line with Tracy, uh, when we said don't want to have anything, like we know that, you know, if we if we stand together and we unify, it's mm-hmm. power in that. And so the Black Lives Matter has galvanized a lot of people to come out and support uh, the agenda, black, white, Mexican, you name it. Mm-hmm. And so for for those who's against it, of course you don't want us to unify. No, they, they're, they're strength. Not. They're strength in numbers. Definitely not. And so for us to say, oh, I don't want, I'm against Black Lives Matters. Of course it goes back to, I don't want them to grow. I don't want them numbers to get bigger. Right. I don't want people to, because you got to pay attention to it. As the numbers get louder and as people are protesting more and you got against you know people from all walks of life joining it that's power yeah they, they took, don't want that they took out black panthers who was actually helping the community yep. and and they took that from us and now uh, we have this black lives matter thing they want to take that too 
And I'm like, Phil, you know, it's it's about that uh, unity stuff. And once we join together, it's power. Right? It's power. Mm-hmm. It's power. Yeah. So I look at it more as living in denial. They yeah, don't they, want to admit. These people hate that term Black Lives Matter. I mean, I'm oh, watching man. on social media. Well, no, there's every a lot day. of pushback, right? Oh yeah, I'm oh, watching yeah. on social media every day, and I love it because they going crazy <laughs> and they getting fired right and left, right acting a fool. You know, because somebody, black lives matter, all lives matter. I'm like, you know. What do you think about that retort, which we hear all the time, uh, all lives matter, and what's wrong with it? There's a whole lot wrong with it, because if all lives matter, we wouldn't be seeing black lives matter. If all lives matter, we wouldn't have kids in no dang on cages, and, you know, none of that stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> apparently, all lives don't matter. You know, if all lives matter, you go down there and get them kids out of them cages then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I had go that the, discussion with someone today. It's just frightening to see that using the word just matters, man. Just matters. We're not saying better than, more right. than. Matters. Matters. Oh, that's what's, what's less than matters. <laughs> I'm existent. Black yeah. lives are existent. Or, I mean, are, are people with these, whether it's Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, are we playing a zero sum game here with this, with these terms? Meaning, like, hey, if. If we promote this, that's going to take away over here. Mm-hmm. Like if I promote mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, it kind of feels like then it. it's going to pull in. Yeah, and it it kind of feels like which it shouldn't be. We're just saying right. essentially, like for let's say for example, just the Civil War. We're just fighting for just for civil something, just civil war. You mm-hmm. know, we're just fighting for something so minute. Now we're just fighting for just something that's saying that my life is equivalent to yours. And, Nothing further. And in the realm of my life is equivalent to yours when it comes to education, when it comes to the judicial system, when mm-hmm. it comes to housing, when it comes to banking, I want right. to be treated equal. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I want to get the same credit score you get. I want uh, to get the same term for the same crime that you get. Because that's totally I, not right, 50-50. Right. That's like this, 80-20 or 90-10. Yeah. You know. and, and, and as I... As, as I uh, Heard the young lady on the phone say, like, I think if you uh, accept that, hey, Black Lives Matter, you buy in, then you got to accept that and you got to say right. that. Okay, mm-hmm. the reason it matters right. is because we have left you guys out in so many forms, mm-hmm. you know? So do you think, because one of the, the, I guess, series of questions I got from people, and I got a lot on Black Lives Matter. <laughs> uh, and I will say topic. that most they, of yeah, they hate that term. They and most it. of them were white questions. One of the questions I had, and it's similar to the rest, and that is they struggle with the terminology. And so this person's question is, if Black Lives Matter really wants reform, why do they use such divisive terms like defund the police? It seems intentionally inflammatory. So my question is, do you think that Black Lives Matter is, whether organization or, or slogan, is it the most effective way to create change? How much? How many? How many people do we lose through the divisiveness versus the reckoning of it? Well, the point of that is, it doesn't matter what phrase they use; yeah, you're exactly. going to get the same reaction. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. As my son said, you, you want to call it uh, "Black Lives Minimize" or whatever. Black Black yeah. Lives are here. You right. know? Black lives are breathing. All lives are here. Yes. Right. I hear Black lives here. plead for justice. I don't care what you say. Uh, yes. it, it's the same. You're going to get the same uh, result of uh, the same response. Yeah. But uh, what puzzles me is uh, 
most of the white race, uh, you know, dog lives matter, cat lives matter, horse lives matter. They're real uh, <laughs> emotional about that. I mean, Michael Vick was crucified over, over the dog crucified. fight. Crucified and served prison time. That You're lady right. that stopped that black guy, the bird watcher in uh, New York Central mm-hmm. Park, she was choking the hell out that dog. Right, right, and, right. But she was choking the hell out that dog. But all from when I looked at those comments, they didn't care about what she uh, uh, accused right, him Right, it was of. about the dog. Yeah, it was like, she choked that dog. We need to take that dog Came out and took I'm the like, dog away yeah. from her. <laughs> she, took, she choked that dog and we need to, that poor dog. And I'm like, no, nah, that poor man that right, she's right. getting ready to get killed. Yeah. But it was. That is correct. Yeah, that, they took that dog from that lady. They and, did. Yeah, they, they did, took yeah. that dog from her because they, they like, gave she, it back. I think, yeah, they but, gave it yeah, back. They took- but she was choking the hell out that dog. But they didn't care about what she accused this man of doing and the possibility of police coming and shooting him in his back or something. They yeah. was concerned about yeah, that was, damn dog, dog that she was choking the shit out of. But as an instrument of yeah, no, I totally get that. And as an instrument of change, though, and clearly, <clears throat> the Black Lives Matter organization, the Black Lives Matter slogan has. Um, caught fire like it hasn't caught fire since its inception They're after Trayvon minds. Martin. But does it speak disproportionately strong, strongly to blacks to the point where if we don't bring uh, whites and other uh, races along with the concept, does it do it effectively? Is it the most effective way? Or am I hearing from you guys, hey, effective or not, this is it's come down to this. Both. I like the latter of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what it's come down to. Uh-huh. This is what it has come, come down, down to. to this. Yeah. 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 This is what has it come down to. And it's just it goes to show that there's still a lot of growth that needs to occur. And that's within the nation, within black communities as well. Mm-hmm. And and within as, white as communities. Well, yeah. yeah. It's it's not right. just we're not just pointing out just like black lives matter because cops are killing us. It's just it's, it goes a whole it's copious amounts of things that this plays into. And we just want unity on it. And some and some assistance, and not just to say, "Hey, no, all lives matter," and that's your rebuttal. But you don't offer any type of substance or assistance, right? In that, I've seen where you know you got some of these police officers in the neighborhoods playing basketball with the kids, dancing, right. you know, doing cha cha slide or whatever in the neighborhood. We don't need all of that. <laughs> we need you to quit shooting us in our back, and you know, or pulling us over. Um, proportionally and just you know we need you to quit doing all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah. I don't care nothing about you playing no basketball with you know my son or oh. my daughter or whatever you know we don't care nothing about that quit dancing learning the newest dances or whatever no we need you to understand we are you know quit killing us and, and Mark roll, roll back the tape man when we say Black Lives Matter I promise you man I, I am I am, it makes my heart melt when I look at these protests it it's 50 50 out there. Like, it's white people out it there. Really like, front is. line. Like, uh-huh. you know, they want to say black, live, black, black. But white people, Mexican, brown, you name it, they're out there. They're out there. And so their your voice point is, it is reaching out to them. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad they are because I don't, I mean, hey, join forces with us because mm-hmm. I don't think they would even pay attention if some white folks weren't out there, exactly. you know, marching with us. Oh, no. Like, no, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, we need no. some big name white folks out there, you know, like on the front lines, like, hey, quit killing them. Right, and, right, 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 right. Because I don't think they pay attention to Well, there, we there are some big names out there uh, on the line. How, mm-hmm. how, however, you know, if I'm riding through Nashville, I've, ridden, I, I've been driving through some pretty, uh, um, uh, 
expensive, a high class or whatever you want to call it, neighborhood. And those flights do have signs out saying Black Lives Matter. Love it, love mm-hmm. it, yeah. So, yeah, yeah they do. Uh, but so for those who have a problem with it, it's just like I said, it's, it's just living in denial and not wanting to admit your fault. And, you know, you know how hard it is to admit you were wrong. It is. So are, are yeah. we talking about a reckoning here? Because I think about the definition of a reckoning, you know, being a time when the consequences of a course of mistakes or misdeeds are felt. And reckonings are supposed to be unfair. Reckonings are supposed to be over the top, going too far disproportionate and unbalanced. That's the way reckonings work. I mean, if you have years of one thing going one way and then it finally breaks, the break is going to be like a dam breaking. Uh, are, yeah. we in a, are we in a reckoning? Because I've been having this conversation with some of my younger um, songwriting pals who are um, you know, beautifully creative and hopeful and I can remember, you know, being their age and younger. I mean, the first time I got arrested for civil rights, I was with my mom and dad on the front steps of the South African embassy. Mm. So I know that direct action has its place and has makes change. But as I get older, I worry about the thought of I've we've been here before. Mm. We've seen this before. Trayvon Trayvon Martin certainly was not the the first, uh, you know. Mm. African American person, certainly not the 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 first kid to die. You know, at what point have we had enough? And so, I guess my question is: Do you think we're in a reckoning? Is this a moment where it's it's true change, and it's going to be pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people? I only hope so. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. That's powerful. I, I I think we are, Mark, and I think that's why Black Lives Matter is so scary because uh, you know. Uh, the reckoning is going to get bigger and bigger. And as we get more people uh, not pinned against this color, this color, but as we get a big melting pot of people who saying, this is not right. You cannot not have a real reckoning. I mean, you see it across the country. Like you see it across the country with them taking down statues. You got, you had two, two baseball teams, the whole team except one pitcher all taking knee. Even the coaches taking knee. I mean, you. So you are seeing something different. You yes, think now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it different. I mean, I really feel like you know where it's going to end, uh, how far it's going to go. Who knows? But I know right now it feels different from everything else. I feel some type of way about that. You know, these people taking knees and stuff. I'm like, sometimes I don't think it's genuine. You know, I'm, they just doing it because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just how you know, everybody else is doing it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, we taking a knee for a. This is this is what we feel. This is how it's you know I'm we standing in solidarity when we take a knee, and yeah. this is we we want you to understand like we've had enough. Had enough. So no. do you, do you think though that this is that moment where it does tip, or do, do you worry about it drags on, drags on, and then gets out of the news and we are back where we were? Is this going to change? Mm. It's going to change different facets of, yeah. but it's not going to change racism. Like this country is built on racism. Like it's here to stay. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you cannot. No one can look at what the most recent thing that got this thing ignited was the explosion of watching a man beg for his life with another guy on his neck, on his neck with his hands in his pocket. Like you cannot have a soul and look at that like, oh well, hey, you know, he should have, should have what? Like, <laughs> and so we're not going back. Like, and you see it, like. 
But it's not showing in the news as much, but people are still out there protesting. Like they're still like people are there. They ain't showing it in the news because it's peaceful protesting. Yeah, and the yeah. only thing they showing was, is if it was someone he had to fight with, was somebody out there going crazy or doing something crazy, mm-hmm. uh, that would be a slightly different thing. Right, right. But yeah. just to take a peaceful man and and, and throw him to like the ground and yeah, yeah, that, that's but that's I've gotten in unreal. About, I've gotten in about 10, 15 arguments on Facebook about uh, well, he had beat up a woman to <laughs> last month or oh, something, wow. you know, right, and right. I'm like, that don't have nothing to do with this man nothing. with his, on his. Killing him on, I mean, with his yep. knee on his neck. Now, punish him for what he did back two, three weeks ago. But they didn't. So, you know, right. you killing him, I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the old tactic in the book, dehumanizing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. I to dehumanize, you, dehumanize you to make you seem like, oh, you the baddest well, person. So everybody like, well, he deserves it. Justifying and, you know, bringing out all these these bad things about him and, and character assassination and all yes, this stuff. Yes. and. And to to feel like that was reason for him to die, right, I'm like, right. no, you ain't the judge mm-hmm. or the jury to tell tell this man that he needs to die today. You know, mm-hmm. give him his day in court, and then we'll go from there. So it's pretty. Sh- we're all, I think, probably in agreement that a reckoning would not have happened without a cell phone video. Oh no, nope. Nope. I mean, not I think, and it was a 19, 19 year old girl who was taking who took right. the, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the, our children, our children are seeing this. Our children are suffering. Our children are coming up uh, feeling uh, even worse than we're feeling because we are kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. For young kids today who have been um, point. going to school and mixing with young whites, they a lot of them didn't know this. They didn't know this. They thought everything was all right. These yeah. cell, these cell phone videos ain't really doing nothing. I mean, people are still getting off from the cell phone videos. Yeah. Take for instance Walter yeah. Scott. You know, uh, a pastor by got him, and he um, and uh, this man was running away. Got shot in his back. The first jury was hung. How you have a hung jury and you see the video of this man getting <laughs> shot in his back, yeah. running away, and then you see also see the evidence that the police planted on him, right. saying he took his taser. That's why taser he shot him. And dropped the taser yeah. right next to him, yeah. and that it was a hung jury. And I'm I was furious. I'm like, this man, how you gonna have a hung jury? And then you seen it. This, yeah. this it wasn't doctored. The the video wasn't, and he still got off on the first. The first trial, mm-hmm. they retried him again, and the parents was like, "We're just gonna put it in God's hand." And thank God, they gave him twenty years. But you know, you needed life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah shooting yeah, that man yeah. his back and lying, and then putting yeah. a, a the taser right next to him. But the impact of having this video for everybody to see uh, makes it real. It would have nobody would have known about George Floyd. No, 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 no. We well, and, known I, about George and I think, Ford. we wouldn't known about none of them. Yeah. Well, and John Lewis, you know, God rest his soul, we just lost him, right. would tell you that mm. uh, the reason why Selma uh, finally pushed uh, Lyndon Johnson in the Voting Rights Act was that hit the television. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> those people that uh, across the country that may not have been certainly civil rights proponents, but they didn't like the way America looked at the end of uh, <laughs> Pettus Bridge, right? So is... Is that cell phone vid- uh, video of George Floyd, is it going to have the same impact as some of that TV footage on the other side of that bridge? I hope so. I hope so, but I don't know because, you know, they still trying to say, 
you got there's plain video of this man choking. I mean, with his knee on his neck. But then, like I said, I got in about 10, 15 arguments last week, week before last, talking about, well, he he had slapped a woman before. You know, they trying to justify yeah. the reason it's okay to put your neck, your knee on his neck because he got in trouble a month ago or when he was 15 or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, like I said, these videos have been out for years and people have gotten off. Uh, what's his name? Does this, the, is there something different about this video? The egregiousness I, of it, or I, I people have had enough, and you got more okay. people coming mm-hmm. to the forefront talking about this is awful. You know, we got white folks now, mm-hmm. you know, celebrities, and like, oh, that was wrong. You know, that was wrong. But we got videos of Walter Scott. We didn't hear nothing about nobody. We had videos of Tamir Rice, who was twelve years old, playing in a park. With a gun playing cops and robbers like oh god that was so sad that was was sad and shot that little boy and these people got off he went and applied for another job in the next county over I'm like really so these videos aren't meaning anything but I think this George Floyd one's like hey we've had enough and these the white folks now are like that was wrong I think that's the only reason why they're looking at it now because we got you know white folks. Coming to the forefront, like, hey, and, and it speaks. It speaks to what Mark is saying. Like th- that video, I promise you, I didn't watch that video till like a month ago. And and again, I, really, I watched that video, and it was by accident. And I and I couldn't sleep that night because again, you watched a guy plead for his life, Please calling out to his dead, dead mom, dead mother. And so, it have created conversations, personally conversations. Well, my not so much white friends, but my some white coworkers have uh, approached me like, Phil, I saw the video. Like, what? The, I mean. You know, like serious conversation. Like, man, what do we do? What do we go from here? That yeah. that, that ripped my heart. Like, so I didn't get that from the Tamir mm-hmm. Rice. And right, not, right, right. You know, I just didn't like. But they they saw this guy, and again, this man casually, this man take his last breath. Like, with a smirk, and on you his can't face. go back. With a, you can't go back. You can't go back. And it tugs at everyone's soul. Well, another reason why this thing kind of exploded the way it did is because of this virus. People are tired. Mm-hmm. They're aggravated. Yeah. They're hurt. So a whole lot went into that as well. A lot of those feelings just kind of is running over, just yeah, running yeah. over. So this this is a kind of a uh, a perfect storm moment where things yeah. may change. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. been saying yeah. I was tired. I was tired after that George Zimmerman. Tired. Yeah, People after George mm-hmm. Zimmerman stuff, enough I was enough. tired. I've been I'm very vocal that on hurt. Facebook about you know like you know something needs to be done with that. And every time I see. You know, a black person getting killed by police or whatever. Trust and believe. I put it on my Facebook page. I'm sick of these mm-hmm. fools. You know, I let people know. I've <laughs> yeah. been tired of them. A lot of people are tired of it and felt just like you. And I know mm-hmm. that I, I did as well. But I think I really think this virus had a lot to do with it because people were just tired. They locked down and, and, and they mm-hmm. anything to give them uh, some type of relief or I'm not saying this is all. The, the virus is all there is to it, but it definitely added to the to the explosion of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, now people are willing to get out there, even in the streets. People who otherwise wouldn't have well, even gotten out there. So, yeah. part of just being quarantined for so long gave them something <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. probably yeah. Out there that. At the end of the day, if we can get uh, some type of, and I think it's going to happen. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know how serious. But if we can get some type of police reform, it's going to be a win-win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot yes. continue to allow the police to police themselves. Right. It's not going to happen. Exactly. They're, they're the biggest gang in America. They like, sure they, just, are. they just are. 
And that's a whole other conversation. The police unions, it's, it's just out of this world. I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago, and I can definitely send it to everyone here. Um, and they just spoke about police brutality bonds. And it's where it's simply, it's settlements that states budget for. They budget for, hey, we know you're going to screw up. So this is what we're budgeting for. And I know in Chicago at mm. one point, they paid so many millions yeah. in just these yeah. bonds. Oh, wow. million, yeah. yeah. And then so the expectation of that being normal. Also. Yeah, in New York. And then in um, in California at one point, the interest rate on their bond that they had had in settlements, the interest was over like one point something billion. And it's just oh my goes to show that yeah. it's deeper. It's just deeper than what you see on the telephones. Like, well, my thing is, you start taking their pensions and stuff. Pensions. I guarantee you, yes. this stuff will go down. Yes. So we don't need no more training. They've yep. had they've had enough training. They have correct training. They just choose not to use that correct training. Is that true? Because that was one of the questions I was going to have. I, I was of the mind, and and you're obviously you've been a federal corrections officer. You've been in juvenile justice. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what I was wondering was, is this an issue of recruitment in terms of just bare bones of what you have to have educationally um, and even personally in terms of being recruited by other other cops? Mm-hmm. Is this a recruitment and training problem as well? Or you say no with the yes, training? I, yeah. Well, I yeah. say yeah. Okay. My, me, personally, I don't think it's a training problem. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's just a personal problem because the training, you know, and I know I, I think I've heard before, uh, like you get more tra- you have to have more training to be a barber than you do like a police officer, mm-hmm. and that might be true, or whatever. But really and truly, you know, the police officer, you know, right from wrong, mm-hmm. and that's just how I look at it. You know, it don't take you that long to learn how to arrest somebody or. So you're, you're saying basically these are basic human skills. Yeah, these are human so skills. Is that being failed on who you're? who you're bringing in and attracting as a cop could be, or is yeah. it being failed in the um, kind of the expectation that we're going to have bad apples? What do you think? You, I think a little both. Uh, you're going to have bad mm-hmm. apples, but you're also, you know, every person that's going into law enforcement needs to have some kind of psychological examination. And when I was going through law enforcement training, I had psych eval, and uh, and if you didn't pass it, you got to go. And so, do those uh, need to be revisited? They need to be yeah. revisited, and also you got some people that can pass them and still end up just being a bad apple. You know, you should, you know, they're gonna fall through the cracks, of course. But um, now, Vanessa, you you answered quickly that you felt like it was also a training issue. Where, where's your point? It's, it's a training when the captain tells them to do that. You need to get so many black people. It's a training when um, the cops who, who, who are there, like the guys that were standing there looking, mm, accountability. Mm-hmm. you had better not say anything. You do not go against your fellow. Can uh, we address officer. that with yes. actual training? Can we address no. it programmatically? Mm-hmm. no. Um, that just comes with being around folks. You know what I'm saying? Us against them mentality. You can't. No, 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 they they, they, they do. They they, they actually teach them that. Oh, I believe it. And and, and what what are you saying exactly? I don't believe that. Yeah, you don't don't go against your uh, fellow officer. Well, yeah. And a lot of them are afraid because because they may turn around and and, and shoot them. So really what we're talking about is a culture thing and not a training Mm -hmm. thing? Yes. 
Yeah. You know, it's been like when you fill out applications, you you know, you see these questions like if you see your coworker doing this, what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's seen that on their uh, application and stuff. So you have those on correctional officers, I'm sure police officers, uh, 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 questionnaires or whatever. But, you know, I don't care what's going on. If morally, ethically or whatever, you know, I see somebody doing something, they ain't got no business. You know, I'm going to tell them like, man, that's wrong. You know, so why to get to the root of the problem then? So why are these individual policemen, which we know are far more than just a few bad apples, if we count it as few bad apples, I don't think we have the the level of uh, police right. violence we have. But so we have to look at either how and who we're recruiting, how we're training. If if you train, because to take Tracy's point, and it may be well true that the training is solid and everything it needs to be. But if the culture is so oh, protective yeah. or if the culture is uh, cancerous, you know, like your point about the questionnaire, I mean, writing down, well, I would turn his ass in on the questionnaire is one thing. Mm-hmm. Doing it on a sidewalk when you're watching your sergeant, mm-hmm. your your superior yeah, exactly. is another. So, right. But if we, I, I worry that if we discount training that our ability to, change this is inhibited unless we're just how do you change a culture without mm, training right you right, right well and, well you know a few years back they had uh they were trying they were doing they were supposed to have started doing a strenuous background check because a lot of people who are racist kkk members and everything was joining the police <laughs> yes. force yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah this 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 gave them legal they felt the legal right to do this and that's what they wanted to do and that gave them the chance to do it yeah but i haven't heard anything about that lately but it was a big deal a few years back and listen when we talk about training i'm I'm talking about like uh self-awareness being woke conscious like you know bias training like this has to happen throughout the career of a police officer. Cause if you stick right, me right, right. in the heart right. of a bad Nashville, like being a police is tough. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you got yeah, the sure. police, mm-hmm. you got the police to educate the uneducated. Mm-hmm. You got to respect police, the people respect you, disrespect you. Mm-hmm. Like it's a tough job, you know? And so for me, I have to be aware of when I need to pull back, when I need to say, Hey, I need to be in another, I need to police another location or whatever. Because right now, right, I'm in right. spot. like, you know, you have to have this training. It can't just be, Training here, training there. I need to train it. I need this sensitivity training and Definitely be conscious yeah. and biased about my implicit biases towards a certain group of people. Because, yeah. you know, listen, I'm, let's keep it real. If I had to, some of the roughest neighborhoods, if I had to police that every day, mm-hmm. like, yeah. hey, man, it's going to get a little rough on you, buddy. Right, yeah. right, right. Cuss me out one more time. Right, you know? Right. Yeah. So these are tough jobs. But again. Have you ever heard of the name Artie Cornfield? I, I uh, have not. No. Uh-uh. He's a father of Woodstock, and he told me something, and he said, Vanessa, if you ever get a chance to talk about it, please tell them and let them know I said it. And he said, policemen need to be uh, made to police their own neighborhood uh, in, in the, in the yeah, areas where they live. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Oh, you mean like personally? Like if yeah. I'm kind of from the west side, then you'd you need to be, in the west be more side. effective to put That's me on the area. west side? 
Well, is that yeah. part of uh, mm. community or policing not, or no? Or if not, the, just <laughs> well, you, you, your, your no. first Train encounter with, with somebody from that area. Yeah, your first you encounter know. with black people can't be when you're on police force. Like no, that, no, that's, no. A well, that's, yeah, that's a lose. Yeah, that's a lose. Or you go, you train with somebody from that area or familiar with that area. Right, to right, get with you someone familiar yeah. with that with that area because. Mm-hmm. You know, if you used to being out in Brentwood and you yeah. go to uh, Joe Johnson, yeah, yeah, it's yep. two different. It's going to be bad. It's going to yeah. be bad. Yeah. Two different worlds. Two, two different, different worlds. worlds. Yeah. Well, and, and are we saying that because they are government sanctioned to carry a, uh, a lethal weapon and use it on our behalves, because we give them that power, shouldn't we expect more of them? Because one yes. of the things I've heard um, is this argument that says well we're when you're in the moment it's kind of the i felt threatened argument right yeah yeah it's a a slippery slope at best it is it is uh and that's been part of i think policing culture for a while and that is hey everything else is out the window if the moment creates serious threat to me when they don't know what to do but if you look but if you look at if you look at the situations that we just talked about if you look at the situation we just talked about, how were they threatening either of those situations? Right, right. right. When they don't know what to do, Skin they color. use the, that that word. I felt threatened. Yeah. When you don't know what to do, you forgot your training and and uh, you're not thinking correctly. I, I I felt threatened. You know, it'll get you off. So. The cell phone looked like a gun. Yeah. <laughs> so is the answer to uh-huh. uh, expect more of our recruits and expect yes. more of a police yes. officer? Like yeah. if we're going to yes. give you this right and power, then I want you to be able to make subtle determinations in a half a second. Their job is to to protect and serve. Protect and and serve. And and to go home at night to their family. And go home to their family. And that's why why we need this training uh, year round. Like you, we got to hold these police officers higher. Like you want to be a police officer, here's your training. Like, you know, listen. They got a nice pension. Like, don't and let's 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 be honest. Like, I'm not a police officer, but I guarantee you. When I was uh, correct, out, out of their forty hours during the week or whatever, yeah. twenty thirty, I'm spent that chilling. Right. Like, I ain't got no calls. When I was a correction <laughs> officer, we had a yearly training, and to be honest, they needed the police Ooh. officers. Police officers need to have every quarter training, yes. like every three yes. four months yes. training, because yes. stuff changes. You it know. Does. Um, yeah, it just it just does. I'm thinking. I know they ain't gonna like it, but you need a quarterly training every three months or something like that. You know, because stuff changes. Mm-hmm. Neighborhoods are different now, and you know, due to yep. the gentr- gentrification and all that stuff, you so, definitely have to have consistent yeah. training. Yeah. 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 So really, if we have these three categories, and that is recruitment, who we even allow to even get right. close right. to yeah. being, it needs signed. a thorough background. Two. Uh, Training, both in terms of developing new training based on what's happened, and also retraining. Yes, and uh, severe and then, punishment when they kill somebody for mm-hmm. no sure. reason. And then three, which is where that comes in, mm-hmm. is culture, right? Culture. So culture changes within within the police mm-hmm. department, and so it strikes me. And um, Phil, won't you weigh in on this? Mm-hmm. It strikes me that if we don't do all three relatively at the same time. Then one may not do it. It'll cause imbalance. Yep. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether recruitment alone solves the problem, and and to Tracy's point, I don't know whether training alone solves the problem. Yeah. Uh, unless the culture changes. Yeah. We're gonna leave it right there for now. Thank you for joining me on this inaugural episode. We'll pick it up right where we left off in the next episode of Conversations on Cub Creek. <laughs> <laughs>
If you have any topics you'd like us to build a conversation around, drop by the Conversations on Cub Creek Facebook site. And while you're there looking through show notes and behind-the-scenes pictures, drop me a line with your thoughts. If you've enjoyed your time with us on the creek, please leave a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you.